Hello and welcome once again to the Snooty Usher podcast. This is Dave and with me as always is James. How are you doing, James? Uh, I'm doing okay. A bit, of a bit of a stressful weekend, but you know, uh, you know, can't complain. Good, good. Good to have you. And uh, also with us this week is Dan. How are you doing, Dan? I'm good, Dave. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, unfortunately, due to uh, landscaping issues with his back garden, uh, but that is uh, uh, Rich is no longer is no longer with us is not with us this evening, so uh, he is out doing some backbreaking labour somewhere. So we wish him well. Uh, so just the three of us tonight, boys. So uh, I guess we'll just crack right on. So. Um, we did say on the last podcast that we were going to be talking about 1980s cinema, um, but what we have uh, decided instead is um, due to the quite horrific events that have been happening in the world at the moment um, with the the death of George Floyd, um, we have decided to talk a little bit about uh, black filmmakers, black actors, and their influence they have on cinema and our enjoyment of cinema, I think. Um, always, as Kevin Smith always says, in the face of tragedy, go create something. Um, and I think these people have given so much to the industry that we love so much that uh, with so much horribleness going on in the world, we're going to celebrate um, what they have given us. Does that uh, sound good, lads? Absolutely. Yes. Good, good, yes. good. So before we do that, we will start, as we always do, um, with what we have watched this week. Uh, so, James, if you could uh, start us off, what have you watched this week and where have you watched it? Some people might qualify as a guilty pleasure. I, I don't believe in such a thing, uh, as we proved on the other podcast, um, is uh, Queer Eye. And the, Excellent. That, the fifth season of that just dropped. Um, it's actually set in Philadelphia as well. And there's, um, there's some very poignant sort of things that are said. Obviously, they didn't know that when they were filming it, but um, it's just, it's just a, an inspirational as ever um, series and um, just really enjoyable. Just a really nice way to be able to sort of concentrate on something fabulous. Good. Ten new episodes on. Um, also, on the iPlayer, there's a, a new sitcom called uh, The Other One, which is it's actually, it's actually written by Holly Walsh. Who's a comedian that you've probably seen on um, Mock the Week and A Vag on You See, that sort of thing as well. Um, it's, it's basically it's about a um, a young woman who finds out that when, when her dad dies, finds out that he actually had a secret family that, that he and he's got a daughter that's a, a week younger than she is or five days younger than she is. It's like a, a typical odd couple comedy, but it's got a, a nice little heart to it as well. Um, Again, just a really, really, really enjoyable kind of uh, six episodes on the iPlayer, and and hopefully it gets picked in front of the series because it's got an absolutely brilliant ending as well. Um, and what else? Um, also another sitcom, um, just a really light, daft sitcom called Mister Winner, which is by uh, Spencer Jones, who was um, if anyone ever saw Upstart Crow. He was oh, the guy yes. who was the he was the guy who was the the Ricky Gervais rip off character sort of thing the one who was like all really modern and everything, um, but he's, he's basically he's a he's kind of a bit of a lovable loser, um, he's trying to impress his fiance's dad in the builders of the wedding. Uh, his fiance's dad's played by um uh, Barry from EastEnders, uh, another Ricky Gervais little reference there. Um, 
and uh, and yeah, it's, it's a really funny. Well, I found it really funny. Daft sitcom as well. And um, you might have seen on Facebook, there's a clip of him refusing to pay for like a bag, so he gets all the shopping and puts it all in his pockets and everything. Um, puts like a baguette down his arms and all oh, this really really daft. Um, it's basically a lot of daft, basically little um sketches that kind of put together almost into a into a sitcom. Um, but then this is a really sort of touching moment with his sort of like father issues kind of come up and uh, and yeah, it's, it's just a, a really enjoyable daft sitcom uh, called Mr. Winner. That's on uh, that's on the iPlayer as well. Okay, cool, awesome. Uh, Dan, what about you? What have you been? Uh... What horror movies have you been watching this week? Uh, I've not actually watched any horror films. Uh, what? Uh, no, I watched an indie film called Some Guy Who Kills People. It was all right. Um, I've been trying to... Andrea always asks me, can we watch a good film? Now, she's got no definition for what a good film is. Uh, and obviously everyone has their own tastes. So it, 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 it's quite a difficult task. So I could suggest a lot of stuff. Oh, she might not like it because... I don't mean to laugh particularly, but just... Like I, I, Kelly doesn't say that exactly, but she says things like that. So I totally understand what yeah, you mean. Uh, it's, I mean, I've, I've got a wealth of DVDs and Blu-rays. Like I've got classics. I've got Oscar winners. I've got B movies. I've got everything. Like a good movie could constitute any of that. But it's very much like I think it, it's Kelly who doesn't like black and white movies. Am I, am I remember that's that right. Kelly, yeah. yeah, she's getting better now. But yes, yeah. So I've I've got stuff like that to try and I've, when I curate the choices, I've got to try and break down what I'm going to watch. Uh, so the I've I've watched a few things. Uh, I she watched Leon and Road to Perdition for the first time. Uh, oh, nice, nice back to back. Very similar stories. Funny enough, when I was watching them, I was like, oh, that's quite eerily similar. Uh, I forgot how good Rota Perdition was. Oh, uh, fantastic! It is like mm. uh, Paul Newman in one of like his last role. Like he's just, it's fantastic, and that whole scene, oh, the, the rain on the and bread. oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I think I want to talk about the two films uh, that I, or two or three films that I've watched that I hadn't seen before. Was I watched The Terminal for the first time uh, with Tom Hanks, directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, I've never known a film to be two hours and 15 minutes long and not be about anything. Yeah, I thought it was pish. Uh, I mean, I would, I would love... <laughs> I love Hanks, I love Spielberg, but my God, I hate that uh, film. Tom Hanks is great in it, and obviously the, the directing's quite competent, and uh, there's some good characters in it. And I, the world would be a much better place if everybody was like Tom Hanks's character in that film. However, yeah. like, about 45 minutes in, I'm like, this is literally about nothing. <laughs> nothing is going on. This guy is living in the airport, and we're just watching him stay there. I think. I think it's one of them where the the true story of of the guy who was made stateless, and I think he was living in Paris airport. I think that's what the true story is. Right. It's actually sort of like infinitely more entertaining than, and it's almost one of them that's. I think the true story is almost so unbelievable that they couldn't. They had to sort of make it a bit dull. Yeah. Almost <laughs> like a, a bit of a half baked love story, and then there were, it's almost like. Halfway through, they realise, oh, we actually have to do something with this. Let's let's involve some jazz in it. Yeah, you know, like, or the jazz club in it. It's like, I mean, I don't know. Like the, the whole angle with Catherine Zeta Jones was completely irrelevant <laughs> to the film. Like it, it goes nowhere. It develops this character in no way, shape, or form. It's just there. And yeah, yeah. I was I was quite bewildered. Like I think it's the weakest Spielberg film I've seen. But then again, the guy's got such a good filmography that yeah, it's hardly a tarnish. Well, you kind of let them off for one now and again, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, say, right, everyone's allowed to do you know. <laughs> um, I watched John Q for the first time. Uh, I've had that on Blu-ray for years. Uh, starring Denzel Washington, directed by Nick Cassavetes. Oh, yeah. um, that one again, that was a bit meh. 
I was sitting there like, going, yeah. oh, look, it's Ethan Suplee. Oh, look, it's Sean Hattosi. And then, the, I mean, the film, the, the guy, I mean, I, I, it's apparently based on a true story, and I've not read up on it yet. But they've got this guy who, obviously, it's a, he's doing a noble, well, I say noble, he's wanting to save his son get by getting his name on a donor's list for a new heart because he's got a condition and he does so by holding uh, an emergency room hostage of all the places to hold hostage i mean there's, yeah, there's really. like there's the greater good and then there's just i mean it's, it's a difficult situation to be in but then you've got everybody outside and inside applauding him and saying he's a really nice guy and it's like is he though <laughs> is he he's, I, I know what he's doing is good and he's he's a motivated man but holding you against you well yeah uh I watched the three amigos. That wasn't for the first time, though. I, I, that was one of the ones I tried to show Andrea, and I don't think she was as impressed with it as I was. Um, oh, no, no, it's it's a good film, though. I've, I've never realised yeah. how unnecessary and random the the singing bush scene is in the Invisible. It's so funny though. It's just so ridiculous. It's, it's funny, it's like... but it's like this does like this feels like it's in a different film. This is like an Anchorman scene, like. <laughs> It's like, of all the places to get directions to find uh, El Guabo, it, it, you've got to go find a thing. It, it, it made no and sense. And then the, the invisible swordsman as well. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's funny. And it, it, you know, it felt like a Saturday Night Live sketch is what, like, that, yeah. just, that was just in there. Like, uh, and I imagine the script, it was funny. And it's funny to watch, but it's so irrelevant to the course of the film. Literally, the only scene, the reason that scene's there for is so they can look up at the sky afterwards and see the plane. And be like, oh, it's that way. It's like what? I just ah, oh, just brilliant film though. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 I love the film. I love the film. But yeah, that, that's that's been my last couple of weeks. Excellent. Um, I have watched quite a lot of films this week actually. Um, I started on uh, Tuesday. My uh, we lost uh, Kelly's dad last year, um, and it would have been his birthday on Tuesday. Just gone, so Kelly wanted to watch uh, one of Rob's favourite films. So we chose. She narrowed it down to three. It was either going to be Predator. The Thing or Aliens and um, we narrowed it down, uh, well she chose uh, Predator, which I, I would have been happy with any of them to be honest um, but I hadn't seen Predator in a few years and uh, oh, it's just great man, like you know and, uh, uh, I enjoyed it every bit as much um, as uh, as I did every other time I've watched it, you know, so that, that, was, a, that was a nice kind of start to the week um, and as I said a couple of weeks ago we'd been uh, watching our way through the Avengers films because we want to eventually get to um, Endgame, uh, so we watched Captain America Civil War which is kind of like Avengers 2.5 isn't it, it's kind of like <laughs> it's not an Avengers movie by name but it kind of is yeah, given it, the fact that it might there. so yeah so I really enjoyed that again um, then on what else did we watch uh, yeah so as you say, as we've alluded to last week, um, the fact that I am a massive coward when it comes to watching horror films, um, and both Kelly and Dan have got to sanit make sure a film is Dave friendly enough for me to watch. Uh, so I watched Get Out um, by Jordan Peele, um, and uh, I thought it was absolutely incredible. And we'll talk a little bit about it later on today, um, but I, I think as a there's just so many elements that combine to make it a really uncomfortable film to watch, but at the same time being a really entertaining film to watch as well. Um, and that's a talk about how we put all that together later on, but uh, I was at that film. Um, I also watched uh, Black Klansman for the first time as well. Uh, I hadn't seen that 
Um, I had it on Blu-ray for months and months and months. I thought that was fantastic as well. Um, and we're looking for a film that was just an hour and a half just to sort of pass a Friday night. Um, so we found a film on Sky called Stuber, um, which has uh, Dave Batista as a sort of hard nosed cop uh, tracking down a drug dealer. He has an Uber driver called Stu driving about, hence the title Stuber. Um, it's 90 minutes of utter nonsense. But it's really good fun. Um, Dave Batista is brilliant as he always is, and, um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just a really good fun uh, ninety minute reinvention from Karen Gillan in it. Um, Mira Sorvino is in it as well. Um, Kumal Nanjiani, his name is, is uh, the 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 guy who plays the the Uber driver, um, and it also has. Um, uh, Eko Uwas, is that how you pronounce it, Dan? From uh, from the raid. Oh yeah, I think it's. I, I, I'm not sure, exactly sure how to pronounce it. I can't. Yeah, I think that kid there must have like the worst agent in Hollywood, <laughs> right? Because after, I mean, I, I, we what uh, did we what we watched the raid together, Dan? Didn't we? I'm we sure watched, or was it? Uh, raid two? We, it was the. Oh, we, we watched. I think we saw both of them together. Yeah, actually, I think we did. Yeah, um, but. I remember coming out of the raid and saying that guy is going to just go on and be like a modern day Bruce Lee. He was just absolutely, and he's done really. He's been a few kind of western hits here and there, but I would be having a word with my agent and saying, "Listen, I should be doing much better than I am because he was." And he, again, he's got about two lines in this, um, and as I say, it's always good to see him. But, uh, but yeah, so it's on Sky um, and uh, well worth a, a wee download um, for a. For a viewer, that if you want just a ninety-minute kind of daft body comedy, um, but the one thing I've, I've enjoyed this week, I don't know if any of you guys have watched uh, Snowpiercer on Netflix. They've um, oh, no, yeah, no. yeah, so they've done a, a ten-part uh, drama of the novel, um, which your man from uh, Parasite um, directed the film, I think, a few years ago. Yeah. So he's a producer and a writer on this, um, as is Scott Derrickson. Um, and it has Jennifer Connelly in the sort of lead. Um, and oh, the guy from, he was in Hamilton recently. David and Diggs. I, I can't, David Diggs, thank you, Dan. Um, he plays like the, the sort of guy from the tail section. Um, and basically the, the plot of this is, it's, you know, it, it, it's um, the future of the world has turned into a massive icebox and there's this 1000 car train where everyone who's alive is on this train you've got first second third class and then you've got the tail or like the steerage as it would have been back in your your titanic days um and there's there's someone's been murdered in first class so they go back to the tail and bring this guy who used to be a homicide detective um is that is that david diggs guy um he comes out and then he's obviously trying to plan some kind of revolution um, four out of three episodes in. I think the fourth episode came on yesterday. Um, pretty good, you know. Um, so far, so good. I mean, Jennifer Connelly still looks incredible. She's like nearly fifty, um, and she just looks absolutely spectacular still. Um, and uh, this day, the David Diggs is really watchable, really uh, good lead. So, yes, yeah, definitely worth checking out. As I say, Kelly likes it more than I do, um, but. 
it's something that I would look forward to watching. So, yeah, worth checking out. Dave, you've just reminded me of something else on Netflix. Yeah. Um, I, I can't believe I forgot it. Um, probably the, the, a really, really funny show called um, Space Force. Oh, um, with yes. Steve Carell. Um, and he's he's re, re, um, sort of reunited with the guy who did the American office, or did the office, um, uh, Greg Daniels. Uh, and he's, it, it's just a really, it's a really funny, uh, basically a, a sitcom set on, Set in, set in the Space Force with a, a four-star general. gets Carell gets made a four-star general at the beginning. And he's like, finally, I'm going to be taken seriously. And he gets made the head of this, this ridiculous Space Force sort of thing. Um, and it, it's, it's got loads of really funny jokes in it. But he's also got this... Uh, 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 John Malkovich plays his like uh, chief scientist on the base. I, I don't know if I've seen John Malkovich in, in much TV, to be honest. I don't, think, I don't know if... I can't think of him in anything else unless I'm being really thick. Um, but it's just the, the sort of interplay between the two of them is just brilliant. Um, so Space Force, I'll just really chuck that one in as well. Space Force on uh, on Netflix. I watched the first episode of that. Um, <clears throat> and again, as I say, I, 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 I didn't love it as much as you did, but I, <clears throat> it's something I would certainly go back to. Um, you know, if, nothing, if nothing else, just Steve Carell is just so watchable, yes. isn't he? He's like... Um, the, I, the, that dance to the Beach Boy song that he does. <laughs> I found that really funny. I even just, really I just funny. just the very first bit, you know, where he where he first get, <laughs> thinks he's gonna like, he's gonna be in charge of one of the armed forces, you know, and, and, he, and he gets space for that whole thing when that they're talking about mm-hmm. Trump, but they don't actually mention Trump, and yeah. it's just mm-hmm. it's all very clever. Yeah, so I would agree, mm-hmm. it's definitely worth checking out. I also forgot about that as well. So, mm-hmm. um, so that uh, as a little roundup of what I've watched this week, uh, we're going to have a quick. Um, Ushers versus Usher quiz as it is um, so given the fact that uh, we're talking about uh, black filmmakers this week um, this could go on a while because this guy has done quite a lot of films um, so I am going to choose, uh, he has been mentioned briefly before so I'm going to choose uh, Denzel Washington so um if we can start with Dan, so Denzel Washington, a film by Denzel Washington from 1981, which is his film debut, to his latest film, which was released last year. So there we go. Give us a film by Denzel Washington. Okay, uh, I'll start with Flight. Flight, excellent. James? Um, I'll go for The Equalizer. Yeah. I really should have picked this as my first choice, seeing as how good the film is. Remember the Titans? Of course. Remember the Titans? Yep, James? Um, I can't really go for the Equalizer 2, so I'll go for Fences. The Magnificent Seven from me. Magnificent Seven, yep. Ooh, Safe House. Safe House? Training Day. Training Day, yep. Oh, yeah. Book of Eli. Um, the Book of Eli. Uh, yeah, the Hurricane. Excellent. <laughs> Hurricane. Um, oh, we've already Man, mentioned it. Yes. Inside Man. Um, Glory. Yeah. Glory. Excellent. One of his two Oscar wins. Um, uh, the, oh, hurricane. the Hurricane. Dan has already said yep. the Hurricane, so I'll give you one other. Oh, um, John Q, yes, uh, John Q. Earlier as well. Cry Freedom. Cry Freedom, one of the early ones. Yep. Okay, James. 
oh, if we were still doing like hidden gems on the on the, on oh, the website, fallen, one of them would be yes. fallen. Or is... Fallen, I think it's called. Okay, we have seven each at the yeah. minute. Um, American Gangster. Excellent. Philadelphia. Excellent. Philadelphia. Uh, um, he was in the remake of the Magnificent Seven. You've already said that. So oh, that's you. Yep. So uh, two guns. Two guns. I love that film. Yes, Dan. Uh, sorry, James. Um, oh, I'm trying to think what, what we what we said. We said. Um, uh, uh, oh. I can't. I can't think what we've. Um, training day. Train, training day. We said training day. Uh, yep. I said inside man dinner. Um, Is that you out? I think I might yep. be done. Well, wait, wait, hang on. What, he must have made something with with Finny uh, Scott. Um, yeah, Helen uh, one two three. Helen one two three. Right three. Uh, yeah. Okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, oh, I don't know if I've said that. I think the film with Ridley Scott that you're thinking is American Gangster. You said it's American it's Gangster. Yeah. American Gangster. Have I? You have. Yep. I I'm writing them down so because there was that many of them. Yeah. Uh, oh, la, la, la. Uh, Man on Fire. Man on Fire. Oh, James, I fear for you on this next one. Uh, I think that's, that's it. Um, I don't know, was he in... Oh, what's something that's... He must have cameoed in. Oh, there's still some pretty know. big films on here that we um, haven't... Uh, um, wait, wait, he won the Oscars for, the Oscar for Training Day and Glory. So they've both been... They've both had them. What was... He, oh, for Glory, yeah. Um, we've, had the, we've had Hurricane. We've had... We've had loads of Tony Scott films. Yeah. Uh, Alvin, Deja Vu. Was that one? Right, we're over to Dan now. Oh, this is something I've been trying to get Andrew to watch. Uh, Courage Under Fire. Courage Under Fire. Excellent. Um, Are we out? I can't. I don't. Wait, I might just have to name an, 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 a Tony Scott film. Hope he was in that. I can't even think anymore. Um, and so Dan takes I'm, I'm done. I think I'm done there. Uh, um, I'll, I'll, I'll guess. I'll guess. No, no, yeah. I'll, I'll guess. Uh, Adam, thin, not, thin red line. So that is a. Dan wins that by 11 <laughs> okay. films to 10. That is incredible. So we missed out uh, Roman J. Israel Esquire, which he was in, uh, nominated for an Oscar for. Uh, we've got uh, Unstoppable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, else? Mancurian Candidates, Out of Time, Antoine Fisher, uh, The Bone Collector, The Siege. Uh, he Got Game, Preacher's oh. Wife, Devil in a Blue Dress, Crimson Tide, Pelican Brief, uh, Malcolm X, oh. uh, Ricochet, Mo Better Blues, uh, and yeah, that's probably the rest of them are all pretty obscure. A soldier story probably was the other biggest one he was in. So that's a very impressive display. Um, uh, I think getting 21 oh. of his uh, 40-odd films is pretty good, given the, given the times. So, okay, so... Uh, Dan wins once again, um, and uh, so next week, um, James, if you wanna, if you wanna come up with, because uh, it's supposed to be Rich this week, but he's not with us. So if uh, if you wanna come up with an actor, then uh, I'll play next week. If that's uh, if that's cool. Oh, okay, cool. I thought we'd launch you again there. No worries. Okay, so we're on to our main uh, topic for the week now. Um, so during the week, uh, we released a. Rundown of ten films on the Snooty Usher website um, by black filmmakers, um, and uh, we'll just kind of we'll use that as a starting point, and then we'll just kind of have a chat um, through through them and uh, like the people who made them, the people who are in them, and what kind of effects they've had on us, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so we'll start with um, with do the right thing um, for a number of reasons. 
Uh, one, because I just watched a Spike Lee film last night in uh, Black Klansman, um, but also the kind of ending of Do the Right Thing is really uncomfortably familiar to, uh, to sort of recent events. So, I mean, Spike Lee always kind of, his films are always kind of explore race relations and sort of the black community and stuff like that, and none more so than, than Do the Right Thing. It's set um, in a black neighbourhood of Brooklyn, but the sort of focal point of the film is uh, an Italian pizzeria. And uh, the, the, it's been there for about 25 years, and the guy who owns it is played by Danny Aiello. Um, and uh, as the sort of neighbourhood around him became sort of more African-American, he's kind of refused to move out. He's got like two grown sons, one of which is played by a young John Torturo, um, who's like sort of very, very racist. Um, and sort of the main character is played by Spike Lee himself, and he's like kind of a he plays like a pizza delivery boy and he's got like a wife and a young child, but he's a bit of a slacker. He's got no ambition. Um, and it's set on this of this day of, it's one of the hottest days of the year. And as, as the temperatures rise, so do like the tensions. Um, because the sort of the, the sort of trigger in the movie is Danny Aiello's character has like a list of um, what he calls his heroes on the walls. And they're all white Italians. Um, and the, the, most of his customers are, sort of African-Americans, so they come in and they want their own guys up on the wall and they want sort of won't bow to it and stuff and sort of tempers raise and raise and raise and, you know, without spoiling the movie, there is a sort of violent conclusion at the end and a black character uh, dies at the hand of the police. Um, I believe if it's years since I've seen it, but I think he was asphyxiated. Um, so, it's that film was made in 1989, I believe, um, and here we are in 2020, and the world's tearing itself apart because a black man was asphyxiated at the hands of the police. So the fact that nothing seems to have changed kind of is worrying. And um, but I think it's one thing that Spike he does really well is um, he does speak to race relations and he does explore the black community. But his central characters are very, very seldom heroic in any way. They're like either they've, they've always got flaws. They're either like neglectful parents, they are adulterers, they are like deeply, deeply flawed in and of themselves, which adds a bit to the kind of realism of it. Um, and I think the, the character Mookie, who he plays in, in this, you know, he doesn't really learn that much by the end that he did at the start, you know. And um, <laughs> But as I say, it's, an, it's, it's funny as well as being kind of uncomfortable. And I think if, to, if I was to watch it again now, as I say, I've not seen it for what, 25 years. Um, but when I read the news about George Floyd, the first film I thought about was this, and I was like, God, you know, because like being a film fan, I kind of see the world through a lens almost all the time, um, and uh, yeah, I, I think it definitely was uh, something that's definitely worth looking at again. I mean, what would you guys think, Spike Lee in general? Is he much of a fan of his? Or now, I've not seen as much Spike Lee stuff as I would have liked, though I've probably got half of his films on wrapped in wrapped DVDs on a shelf. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, he's always held up as sort of like when people are talking about uh, black cinema, he's like one of the most prominent names out there because he's probably had some of the most success uh, in terms of like awards and whatnot. Uh, but he's like the films I have seen, I mean, they're great. I love them. Like he's, he's got a very unique way of uh, shooting films. And, yeah. uh It's just like you see it in like Black Clans, but like it, it's not always just straightforward uh, way of directing films. Like you, there's like scenes in Black Clans when, when like you've got. Uh, 
Is it? I think it's Harry Belafonte actually telling the story. That's right. uh, God, of, you juxtaposed with Topher Grace doing. Yes. My God, yeah, that was uh, amazing. And then you've got like the you've got <clears> the talk over of all like uh, I can't remember who's talking. But then you've got just like the sort of the fade outs of uh, people's faces like looking up and around, and it, it it's just it's a different way of directing, and it's great to watch. Like he makes things really interesting to watch as well as doing really important films and entertaining ones as well. Well, I think there's a, there's an amazing like. One of the, the things that, that really stands out and do the right thing, and there's um, there's so many different kind of races in this sort of melting pot of a community. Um, and the, like the, the, the John Turturro character particularly is really overtly kind of racist and really hates black people. Um, but there's a, there's a device that he uses where each character talks to the camera and says a different racial slur about a different race so you've got like spike lee's character comes on and says something about italians and then jaturo comes on and says something about blacks and then there's like a white cop who says something about koreans and then a korean says something about somebody else and, and like it's just really it's just a really interesting kind of device and especially when i was quite young as well and and i was more i hadn't really seen a film like that before where somebody would break the fourth wall and i was like this is just really interesting and um but i think it's the same thing when you look at when you look at someone like spike lee on a film like that as a as a white man you you kind of i, I particularly find it really difficult to relate to it and as much as you can't ever put yourself in that position because we've never experienced anything anywhere near that so and then i do you do I start feeling guilty about feel like empathizing with it do you know what i mean and like <clears throat> it's like should i be like watching this as a piece of entertainment when these when he's making such a statement but then that's why he made it in the first place. You know, he made it as well yeah. as a piece yeah. of entertainment, which is something I learned as I got older. <clears throat> well, yeah, this is one of my, I, I always say, I always use the sort of like, I want to be entertained by a film rather than sort of preach to or, or anything like that. But th that's what sort of Spike Lee kind of does. And, and uh, I think that's well, one of, obviously one of the issues that's, that's sort of happening at the minute is th th these aren't new issues, obviously. And, and this is a film that's what, Thirty, 30 years old. Yeah, 1989 and so yeah like so. you said yeah yeah and like you said it's it's um and then if, if you think about black Klansman, that was that was a few years ago that was well that was yeah, last was, year wasn't yeah. it but you know the end the ending of that reference is something that happened two year like 2018 and so sort of we're still we still seem to be in the having these same issues so it's it's all about sort of ed and, and if, if, you, if anyone is ever feeling what what, what can you do it's the, the the best thing you can do is just try and educate just try and hear other people's opinions and if even if you disagree with spike lee's politics on on a on a sort of left right kind of basis you you, you need to hear other people's sort of point of view and, and as much as you can try and try and listen to their their voices and that's what and hopefully that's, that's kind of what we, we're trying to do with this sort of podcast in our you know as, as small as it is it can be our little platform is to hopefully just to to point some people in the in the right direction of sort of films to look at um and so it, it's quite strange that do the right thing and black Klansmen, 30 years apart but are both oh, i wouldn't say vital for people to watch but they're, they're so they can be so important to, pe to people to sort of give a sort of understanding of for, for, for me for for you guys well a, a totally different um a different out outlook on 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 how how life is i'm a i don't want to throw around words like white privilege but you know if 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 you can see this sort of film and understand this is what life is like for some people, for, for a majority of people in, in certain cities, that can't be right. And, you know, that's that, that's kind of what we should, 
what we should try and take out of sort of films like I think this. So, and I think um, you know, the other thing that struck me with um, with uh, Black Klansman, going back to that again, because that, that's really fresh in my mind, mm-hmm. just having just watched it, yes. was um, mm-hmm. the, the Ron Stallworth character is like, he still... Forget all the racism and all the kind of black power that was going on. He went when he goes undercover to the mm-hmm. black power meeting at the start, um, and he, he sort of mm-hmm. meets the girl, and you know she can't understand why he'd want to be a cop. And he's like, "Well, like I, yes. I want to make yeah. a difference. I want to change things." And like, yeah, it doesn't make him any less proud to be black or anything like that. He's got mm-hmm. a different way of trying to make a difference, and um, I think the. You know, the, the film was great, and the the, the one thing I, lo- I do love about Spike yes, Lee yeah. particularly is he just he, he, he's so good at sort of bringing humour in as well, and in, in places where you wouldn't expect <laughs> it, and you know, and like you find yourself laughing at a bit. You're like, should I really be laughing at that, given how serious this is? And um, mm-hmm. I think he he is. I mean, he's he's been making films for like 30, 40 years now, and he he's still a really important voice. I think in a as I say, I haven't watched one of his films for a long yeah. time. Um, I think the last one I watched was Miracle at Santa Ana, um, which was a kind of uh, like set in the Second World War, I think that was. Um, and uh, I think I did, I've not seen any of his of his newer stuff. I didn't see um, Old Boy, although Dan has sworn me off it. <laughs> you know, but, um, but the thing is, like, so. Uh, Looking at Spike Lee, he has a really important voice and he has a lot of things to say, but he's also a really good director as well. I mean, we mentioned Inside Man, you know, and that was just a really clever, slick Mm -hmm. action movie, wasn't it? And, um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, but uh, Uh, 25th 25th hour as well. Um, that that, didn't uh, he? Yeah, is it? Yeah, him as well. Yeah, um, like, yeah, he's he's just got a he, and, and that's part of the. Part of the issues is people do pitch him as a as a as a black director of black films. If you know, if you understand I'm what totally. I mean there, but he's not. He, he's a he's a great director. He's not a. He doesn't. You don't need to clarify. You don't need to to put him in niches. Oh, great black directors. He is one of the, the best directors of. And for a guy to make Black Klansman after having made films for thirty plus years, it's something really special. It's that's like how how many how many directors make films? Look look someone look at someone like Ridley Scott. Look at how he's output is just is all yes. over the place now um but something like spike lee he's just black lantern was such a, a vibrant sort of film as well it just felt so felt so important it, it felt like an, an uh, felt like an angry young uh, angry young man making like an angry young man making his first sort of film but it's actually is i don't even know yeah, 20th film or something summer of summer of sam as well maybe. he did that in what 1990 odd 1999 um, I mean that was fantastic mm. as well, wasn't it? I mean that was just mm. again a really interesting take on a sort of serial killer um, sort of movie, and um, yeah, I, you know you forget. Mm. Yeah. But I'm just looking down. He's I've just loaded up his page now, like stuff that I've even forgot about, like Clockers. Um, I mean that was fantastic, and um, there was he did one where he's worked with uh, Denzel Washington a few times, and we haven't even mentioned Malcolm X, but um, he did one called He Got He Got Game. Mm. Which yeah, um, yeah. the film was all right, but the soundtrack. I remember I was working at our price at the time, and uh, Public Enemy did the soundtrack, um, and it was just on constantly. Whenever me or my mate Simon were in, we just put on every time we were in, we just stuck on the He Got Game soundtrack <laughs> to the point where the bosses eventually just hid it from us. Um, but I mean, that is just that's just a, a, a great film again. So, uh, but yeah, so I think that's. Uh, 
I, I, if you take nothing from this, if you if you guys go ahead, watch Do the Right Thing. Um, if you find it, obviously, it's, I mean, it is filmed from the, like, the late 80s. If you find it a bit dated or whatever, then Black Klansman, I would certainly, uh, I would certainly uh, go and watch it. Just, if anything, like, you know, everyone goes on. Like, a lot of the things I've heard about uh, is people want to educate themselves. Um, and as I say, I, like, if you're looking for an important filmmaker, then I would certainly, Spike Lee is as good a place as any to start. Uh, could just maybe not all hang on that bad like maybe I'll get too hard on it <laughs> obviously uh, Park Chan-wook's original is fantastic and it doesn't really hold up to it but Josh Brolin's mm-hmm. really good in it uh, Sammy Jackson's really good in it like it's oh, not yeah. an awful film but by comparison to its original obviously it falls in the sort of that's very a large number of poor remakes compared to the original um, I think it could have been a lot better is the problem Uh it reminds me of have you have you seen the the remake of Psycho with Something, Vince Vaughn yeah. and Julianne Moore? Uh, from, it's it's a bit like it's it's a yeah, fancy, it's is it? Um, it's it's a bit like that. You like you just think like why yeah. are you remaking this? Because it, it's, it's almost like a shot for shot yeah, remake yeah, at times, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the old old boy one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so like that's why I hate to leave Spike Lee on there uh, on old boy. So I'll just I'll just oh, mention no. yeah, just mention Black Clansman. <laughs> It, it, it'll, it'll turn up on. It, it, surely it'll turn up on Netflix yeah. or Amazon Prime soon, hopefully. So uh, yeah, uh, so watch yeah. Black Clansman. Um, so that brings us quite on, uh, quite nicely on to uh, the next one on our list, which is Boys in the Hood. Um, so we are. Uh, this is John Singleton's um, sort of film debut, which is from 1991, just a couple of years after uh, Do the Right Thing. Uh, we're going to switch coasts. Uh, this is kind of set in a sort of South Central LA, uh, where a sort of young young guy goes to live with his live with his dad, um, and it's kind of like immersed in the sort of gang culture of uh, South Central LA. While he's quite a promising student as well, so he's like trying to get out of the life, and um, it, it's just a brilliant film. Like I, I can't like say anything better of it than that, you know, um, very early role for Cuba Gooding Jr., um, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, Ice Cube, one of his early roles as well, um, and he just plays, Ice Cube just plays this kind of, just a tragic <coughs> character, you just know, like, well, you, you took the three central characters, you've got Cuba Gooding Jr., you've got Ice Cube, and then you've got, uh, Oh boy, it was in um, Morris Chestnut. His name is. Yeah. He's been in the kind of stuff. So they're the sort of central three, and you like Cuba Gooding Jr. and Morris Chestnut. You can tell they've got a chance of getting yeah. out yeah. and going to college and making something of themselves. Whereas Ice Cube is just, you know, he, his life is only going to go one way, um, and he's just such a tragic character. But he's so good as well, and you just want something better for him, and mm-hmm. you just know it's not going to happen. Um, so Singleton was very young when he made this. He was, at the time, was the first black man, which is mental to think, like the first black director to be nominated for an, for an Oscar. And it was in 1992 before that happened. Um, and uh, so it was, uh, I say the film was fantastic. And we really expected, you know, to for John Singleton to really kick on and become... I guess Spike Lee, really, or not? Not Spike Lee as such, but have a career that had. I mean, we lost him a few years ago. I think to last was it last year he died. I think, um, and uh, yeah, around April. And like, looking, he made what two, yeah, yeah. four, six, eight, nine yeah, films in that time. 
you know, and it's it just never ever seemed to sort of hit the heights of what you know he promised of, with mm-hmm. Boys in the Hood. Um, I think after that he did the Shaft remake with Samuel L. Jackson, which has not aged well. I think is uh, is is safe to say. Uh, too Fast, Too Furious, Four Brothers, and then his last film was <laughs> Abduction, which was uh, Taylor Lautner. That. Taylor Lautner, yeah, and you're thinking what happened to him, you know, and he, he just thought that he would have had so much more to say and it never really panned out for him, did it? And that, that might have more to say with the opportunities that he was given. If you think about yeah. the time that he sort of came up in the early 90s, obviously, I mean, we're still in a place now where there aren't enough black directors getting <clears throat> the voices heard and the stories made. Uh, yeah. And if he's coming at a time when he was like this person being nominated for an Oscar, that it might have yeah. been a lot harder for him to get projects off the ground. And I imagine as soon as he made Boys in the Hood, I guarantee you every studio would have probably been giving him options to make films like Boys in the Hood yeah. for the next 10 years, which obviously not so everyone's going to want to do. Well, i tell you what, he did a film a couple of years later called Poetic Justice with yeah. um, Janet Jackson and uh, Tupac Shakur, um, which that was his second film, and it was a very, very different type of thing about it. Again, cell sets out Central LA and everything, but it was again very different female protagonist and stuff. Um but yeah, he kind of I think that's uh, Dan, you're probably spot on there. He probably just was given loads of oh well, can you direct this film about gang violence or can you direct this about that? And yeah, maybe I guess we can only speculate, can't we? I think didn't didn't um Shaft I think Shaft did did quite well, didn't it? And I think then he got like the Fast and Furious sort of probably. film. But I think it's it's one of the terrible things probably. of like yeah. Uh, what, was, what was the one with? Is it what's the one with Mark Wahlberg? In? Yeah. Uh, Four Brothers. That's it. Yeah. It, uh, that that was like that was like a bit. Yeah, of a bit. Yeah. And it kind of feels like he, he, unfortunately being black sort of felt like he already had to strike against him. And then so as soon as as soon as he has a film that doesn't perform well, it's oh yeah, well you know. Well, same with um, it, you know, when you talk of women directors or women-led films, uh, as soon as there's a, a bad one, it's it's oh well, that's why we don't. That's why that's why we don't let you make those sort of films and that's kind of almost everything that's wrong it's like you know why 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 shouldn't why shouldn't um a, a black yeah. a, a black director be able to make a, look a, at, a stinker um, of a film said, no, no, i'm saying any of films that should be the end so at the time tim's story was again when he when he did fantastic four films it's the first time a black director had worked with that level of budget and stuff like that they did all right um the first one did second one not so much and it wasn't really that was 2007 it wasn't really until ride along 2014 that he really saw any kind of success again um, obviously did ride along too, and then he he's actually it, it turns out he did the the new shaft, mm-hmm. you know the one that's on Netflix with um, mm-hmm. Sam Jackson and back in the role again. Um, and uh, so it's like I think he may be a point oh, there yeah. about maybe having a strike against him and then doesn't. Uh, but uh, incidentally, I've just noticed here that uh, Tim Story is directing a upcoming live action animated comedy version of Tom and Jerry, uh, which is due to be in cinemas this year, which that, I had never heard anything that about. made like for the past like ten years. Like I'd be surprised if we see that out anytime okay. soon. I've seen it a couple of times and I remember this the second time I watched it, I was still hoping that the end wouldn't happen that oh you know he's going to turn the he's going to turn a different corner and it'll be all right and it never is, you know and um but I think it's quite interesting when I was doing some research for this that he shot that film chronologically, which is mad to think of now. Like, like you would you would shoot a film, obviously with the, the yeah. demands of the stars yeah. and everything like. If you've got 
ice cube for a week, you would do all these scenes or you do, you know, but shoot a film chronologically is, is mad. It's particularly do it so well that you get nominated for a for an Oscar is is uh, is quite something. Um the yeah, so that that uh, yeah, the sort of John says to say I was always, but obviously we're all very sad to see. Do you know? I think um, Too Fast Too Furious is underrated for me. I mean, these these films are are what they are, but uh, it's just it was just a glossy fun action movie. Then uh, back when it, they used to be, well, I don't think they were ever grounded, but they were when they were relatively grounded, um, as opposed to I think they're going to space in the new one, aren't they? Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, if you think about it, like Too Fast, Too Furious is essentially where Fast yeah. Five and Fast yeah. Six ended up. Like in terms yeah. of how how silly it got. Like at the time when it came out, it was probably it was obviously quite a stretch from street racing when you've got a car like catapulting off a yes, lamp yeah. onto a boat. Um, which, I mean, it's fun to watch. I mean, it's it's no less ludicrous than dragging a safe through the streets of Rio de Janeiro, you know, or <laughs> oh, yes. driving a car against a tank on a highway. Uh, I mean, I, I, I like Too Fast, Too Furious. I, I do as well. I, it was one of the... I remember... So when I first started working for Odeon, <laughs> this is, is back in the good old days of uh, 2000 and... No, two, yeah, 2002. Um, and the way that it used to work, we used to have, like, You'd have a, a manager do a ten ten and a manager do a twelve twelve. Um, so there was always like two managers in the building, team leaders everywhere. Didn't really have to do anything. So I remember it was the first time one of the other managers says, "Oh, we don't need you for a couple of hours. Just go and watch a film." I was like, uh, "Should I be doing this?" Uh, and the film I went to watch was Too Fast, Too Furious, and uh, I, I thought it was absolutely incredible. I really, really enjoyed it. I don't know if it, it was to do with the fact <laughs> that um, I, I was supposed <laughs> to be working at the time, I, but. It was. Done that. I enjoyed it immensely because of that. Um, but yeah, so to, I'm just trying to find out who actually won the director award. Uh, oh, it was Jonathan Demi. It was the year that uh, Silence of the Lambs cleared yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that moves us on to the next one on the list, which is uh, Twelve Years a Slave. Um, I don't really know what to say. Uh, hard. It's diffi- a hard film. It's a yeah. very hard film to watch. Uh, Difficult. Really it? I mean, it's one of the yeah. it's one of the best directed and acted films I've seen in the last ten or so years, uh, and a profoundly moving experience watching it. Uh, yeah, it's an essential film with some despicable displays of humanity, uh, played all too horribly well by uh, Michael Fassbender. Um, yeah, yeah. jeez. I mean, Steve McQueen has already sort of put himself on the scene with Hunger, and I think Shame came out before 12 Years of Slave. Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Both terrific films. Uh, and obviously, yeah. a guy that knows what he's doing is really good at what he does. Uh, but yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, it, won, it won awards for a reason. And, uh, yeah. Chimetal Ligia it- 4, like, he's such an underrated <clears throat> and underused actor, and he's so brilliant in this film yes i think you know, it's one of those um it's one of those films that you know like you mentioned it before james is like when i sit down to watch a film i want to be entertained but sometimes like you need something like that mm. to remind you you know how important film can be mm. and what a powerful voice it can be because yeah not loads of people don't watch the news or people yeah. don't read books anymore people don't read you know stuff but people sit and, and go, to a, go to a film and go oh hang on 12 years a slave isn't michael fassbender in this i hear he's you know he's an mm. x-men or brad pitt's in it or whatever um and you know if someone mm. comes to that and you know there, there's no way they're going to read solomon northrop's uh memoirs or anything like that um 
and if it makes somebody think, then you know he's certainly done his job. And you know, they, I think I haven't been as uncomfortable watching a film uh, as I have since uh, since Schindler's List. I think was the last time that I kind of felt that kind of uncomfortable. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, it's, it's one. It's one of the like like you said, Chewy Loja for it. It's it's that. There's that bit where he, he sort of like looks, it's just him in the field and he just looks at the camera. It's, it's sort of towards the end and it's kind of like so much heart and so much soul from like, it's just, yeah. it's just, it's, yeah, it's just, but it's not, it's not, um, it's, it's, it's not, it's not it, a, a, a bit like One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest as we talked about a while ago with Jack Nicholson in that. Julie mm-hmm. Lodgefort is phenomenal in this film, but then so is everyone else. Um, like little Peter Nyong'o kind of, yeah. kind of launched her career as well. Um, just, it's just a, just a, a, a remarkable piece of work, a remarkable like, um, yeah, uh, to, to, to make make a, a person's story come alive from yeah. three hundred years ago or, or, or two hundred fifty years ago, and it's just uh, obviously, obviously, you, obviously you, you feel sorry for him, but it's not, it's not, he's not just a victim. He's not just a, uh, he's, he's never pathetic or. Oh, and it, it's just, and obviously, it's it's one story of one person who survived, but it's it's yeah. it's just a, a remarkable film. A remarkable film, sort of filmmaker. Oh, definitely. Well, he's he's, he's he's not just a filmmaker, though, is he? He's like a he's like an, an artist and mm. all sorts of things. Um, but yeah. yeah, so I think yeah, it, it's a it's a tough. I think what I, what I wrote on the uh, on the site as like uncomfortable watch, but absolutely essential viewing. And I think uh, yeah, I think mm. that uh, it's definitely. Yeah. I mean, it, it won the it won the won the Oscar that year and. You know, and rightly so. I don't think there was ever any any doubt that it was going to. Um, but yeah, so I think um, we're gonna we're gonna move on from from that. Cause I don't think there's much more we can say about that other than you know, watch it. Basically, <laughs> I think would be the um, yeah. So yeah. this this one's over. This one's over to to you, Dan. Um, so we we decided to go with uh, horror noir, a history of black horror, which is a 2019. Um, horror documentary um i oh you'd be very surprised to see that i haven't actually seen this one dan so i'm going to let you talk about it um and then we can jump in with any observations if that's all right yeah yeah um i've not got too much to say about it but it's a fantastic documentary as a fan of the horror genre uh i'm always on the lookout for your stuff and um this is a documentary that is wholly dedicated towards looking and chronicling the history that uh, black people have played in the horror genre, as well as uh, like black horror as a like sort of subgenre itself. And it's such an illuminating and uh, interesting watch from start to finish. Because I mean, it goes right back to sort of like the days of white zombie and black and white films, and even touches on that uh, abomination known as Birth of a Nation which I was actually taught about in film studies uh, mm-hmm. in college, but they never they never framed it in the way that it should be framed. They just mentioned that this film was revered because of its camera work and it was such a pivotal moment in the film history, but then they didn't bother going into the actual horror behind what this film is. Like, white people playing mm-hmm. blackface and the causing the rise of the KKK once again because of this uh, appalling film that was actually watched by Woodrow Wilson, who was a president in World Jesus, War One, yeah. uh, and celebrated as this sort of national phenomenon when it was actually far from it. Uh, and there's so many perspectives throughout the documentary. Like, obviously, you've got Jordan Peele's in there because uh, Get Out's such an important part of black filmmaking. But you've also got Tony Todd in there, who was Candyman. You've got... It touches on Night of the Living Dead, which I know James wants to discuss, and Dwayne Jones playing that 
pivotal character in that pivotal, one of those most eye-opening and gut-wrenching scenes very early in horror's history. But it looks at all the things that you might not have thought about when watching horror films and the way certain monsters are portrayed, though it's not necessarily being played by a black person. It's, there's, a, there's an interesting part where it talks about the creature of the Black Lagoon, and it's not a, a link that I've made before when watching it. But uh, there's a discussion about how the physicality of the creature itself could be compared to the way that black features were misrepresented and caricatured in the decades that the film came out. So if you think about all those horrible racist toys that and representations of dolls and whatnot of black people and there's this comparisons made to it and it's like, oh, not something I've thought about and that wow, that's it's very eye opening. Um and it goes all the way until the sort of modern day. And there's I mean I I'm a big fan of the Nightmare on Elm Street films and you've got um Ah, oh, what's his name? In Nightmare on Street 3, Dream Warriors, you've got the guy who was, was plays... Uh, he called Kincaid. Was, was, he was it not Lawrence Fishburne? Lawrence Fishburne is in it, but he's Ken Sagos is... he's, he's Lawrence Fishburne's like the sort of doctor, or he's like the orderly. But, so, uh, yes. Ken Sagos is Kincaid. He's the guy with like the sort of rolled up sleeves. He's, he's, he's a... He's a sidekick to Heather Langenkamp's character alongside uh, Joey, who plays the deaf on mute guy. Um, I always loved Kincaid in Nightmare on the Street uh, 3, and he actually survives in, until part 4. Um, and you get all these different perspectives from people, and it's just, I think if you wanted to learn more about a different perspective, like having watched the films is one thing, but learning how these things have got made, how they've been perceived, and it's, you'd always think that something like, say, Black Exploitation, I've always looked back on. And though I've not seen a whole great deal of it, I have seen uh, bits and pieces like Blackula and there's uh, the one something oh, I can't remember what it's called. And I've always thought that this is a obviously a preeminent movement for black representation in film. But obviously, from a the black perspective, these films, though they were having more representation in film, there are still caricatures and representations in these films that aren't really the things that they want people to be doing on film if that makes sense yeah so like, like obviously in the times of like uh foxy brown and uh coffee you know you've still got like black people playing the pimp and the, the community doesn't want to see that but then it's still representation in film and they've got this horrible double-edged sword where this is one of the very few avenues that they've got to be seen in film but it's also playing stuff that they don't necessarily want to be sh shown people because then it becomes something that is a stereotype uh, I think if you if you want to broaden your horizons outside of just watching these films, it's an essential documentary to watch, and it's full of really well-educated voices from people that you would have seen in films and heard in films, and it's just it's a treat to watch. I really enjoyed it. It's one of the best things on Shudder. Cool. Excellent. So what uh, you were going to say about, you want to talk about Night 11 Dead, James? It, it's, it's, one, it's one of my favourite films, and uh, I, I just wanted to mention that, um, like, Dan's already kind of, like, uh, like brought it up, but... Um, uh, Dwayne Jones plays uh, plays like the, the lead in the in Night of the Living Dead, um, and uh, sorry, spoilers for a fifty odd year old film. But um, at the very end, he 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 survives the he survives the uh, the, the, z the zombie apocalypse. Um, to, takes over takes over his house. Oh, he, he hides in the house, survives to the very end. Horrifying sort of experience he goes through, and then at the end, as he's, he's walking out, asking for help, uh, as as the as the police come in, he gets shot dead uh, at the end, just because. Um, he's he could because he's a well it's because they think he's a zombie but it's very clear that it's because he's a because he's different um, because he's a black man and uh, and uh, George Romero has always said that he he simply just, he didn't he didn't mean to cast him as he didn't mean to cast a black man it, it wasn't his consideration that he was the best 
kind of actor he had available. He, he, was, he was the kind of best option for him. Um, but it's just, it's ooh, it's such a, it just adds another layer to what's a great film, but it just it shows you the, the, the simplicity with how, how the story that was told in 1968, you know, is so echoes through all the, yeah so many films later on uh, and, and sort of still happens, happens, you know, unfortunately far too, far too regularly in the, in the non, in the non-film world, in the, in the real world. Um, yeah, I just, wanted, I just wanted to mention that as well. It was like the, the sort of well-held stereotype about, uh, it's like the I guess kills and, and these sort of slasher movies. And <laughs> we mentioned, uh, or we're talking, we addressed that in Scream 2 with, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith and, it, uh, um, no, uh, it, it was not Omar Epps. Oh, maybe. Oh, you may be Omar Epps. Yeah. Um, they uh, so they to die, but then they actually are the first to die. And you know, we think something that was trying to be so meta, um, probably do something a bit different. And it wasn't until uh, for me, Halloween H two, which was a very straight slasher movie, um, the Elio Cool J film, you know. And you, well, cool, Jay, as a security guard, you're just like, my God, you're going to die so quickly. It's not even... Um, and then again in that franchise, uh, that isn't Buster Rhymes that actually done. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's one of my, It's not a great film, by all means, Halloween Resurrection, but it's one of my favourite moments <laughs> in any slasher movie. Uh, I mean, I, I, I like Buster Rhymes. I, I've, I used to have pretty much every one of his CDs. Uh, and he, yeah, he just gets into a fisticuffs with Michael Myers. And... With, with starting with the line trick or treat motherfucker like I it's <laughs> it's it, it's horror gold you know horror like, gold yes. and again makes he makes the end credits which is uh which is which is nice but uh, yeah. but yeah I think uh so there you go so if you, where where is uh where will you find horror noir Dan if people uh, horror noir is a Shudder exclusive at the moment I think uh, so if you I'm thinking do thirty day trials if you you don't aren't signed up to it uh, there's not a lot of great stuff on there uh, but if if you're a horror fan anyway if you if you haven't seen a lot of horror. There's a bunch of stuff on there for you to watch, but this is a this is much must watch uh, stuff if you like watching cool. horror or want to learn more about uh, black history and horror in a certain genre. Excellent. Okay, so moving on to our next film, which um, by Duverne, uh, which is 2014's Selma. Um, now I remember. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm going to be honest here. I was having a bit of a sky one afternoon um, at Metro Centre, um, and I popped into the screen where Selma was playing, and um, I was. There was you see David Oyelowo, uh, and he's um, he's just getting dressed and he's getting ready for for whatever it is he's going to, and it's kind of intercut. If I'm remembering this right, he's it's getting in, um, and I'm like, oh, this is fine. You know, I've heard you know Oyelowo's. Bomb explosion and these kids end up and I just sat down and watched the film. It kind of takes a lot of kind of dramatic liberty, you know. But at the end of the day, I think I'm not exactly sure if if it's not a documentary, it's a film, um, you know. But an uncomfortable watch, and I think from that one moment when the bomb goes off at the start to the even to the um, to the text at the end, it tells you what happens to some of the characters got rent time um but again just such a really strong you know um and uh, she has gone on commentary on netflix at the moment which um is called remind me what it's called dan 
It's the 13th. 13th, yes, which is based in the American justice system. Yeah, yeah, it's about the 13th Amendment and what it, uh, what it's sort of done and caused in the history of America. Much like 12 Years a Slave, it's a really hard watch. But it's again, it's very it's very educational, and it's, uh, I think it's important for everybody to watch it because there's, there's perspectives in there and there's stuff that you would not have thought about, especially not living in America and not necessarily understanding the system that they've got set up and how this sort of... This, like this part of the constitution uh, is restricted an entire section of the population from being able to achieve anything close to the dreams. Uh, it's it's a horror. And the fact that it still goes on today, it's, it's horrible. Um, and just touching on Selma before we come off that, I've never been so mad in a snub for best actor than I have for Selma. Like that was an abomination that he was not nominated for best actor. Eddie Redmayne won that year. Yeah. But yes, and I'm not saying that the other guys weren't good. But I, I would, I could easily take Benedict Cumberbatch out of from the Imitation Game and put him in for Selma. Like it yeah. was ah, I was, I was mad. I mean, I've read something recently that uh, he came out and said that apparently, like the Academy sort of came down on them because they wore T-shirts uh, yeah. in response to uh, uh, an unjust sort of killing of a of a uh, black man and. Uh, Sweet, yes. The academies came out and said, "Why are you wearing those t-shirts?" And then they think that's that's unfairly affected them, which, yes. to be honest, wouldn't surprise us. No, but it's one of the it's one of the best yeah. performances I've seen in a long, long time. Like I was moved watching that film, and uh, yeah, she's Eva DuVernay. Like I haven't seen her in time, but she's such a good director. If this is what we've got so far, uh, I can't wait to see what else she's going to be coming out with. Yeah, but the thirteenth, it's, um, it's an educational watch, but it's a tough watch. So have I haven't seen When They See Us, but everything I hear is good. She directed that as well, which is a drama series about the shooting in Central Park in New York. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, it's it's a brilliant it's a brilliant TV show. I don't think I, I can't speak enough about it. I mean, it, it's such a the story behind it's so horrible. Like how how something like that can happen. It's it makes your blood boil watching it. Uh, because I mean, there's there's nothing really positive to come out of it apart from the fact that the the proven innocent, albeit far too late. Yeah. Um. But it's it's a it's a fantastically made TV show with some great performances and that young cast having to tackle the topics that the the tackling. I mean, they were brilliant, yeah. absolutely brilliant. Can't wait to see the stuff that they go on to do because they they were absolutely great in it. Um. And it's always nice to see Michael Kenneth Williams in something. Uh, Omar definitely. Yeah. Okay, so that moves us on to uh, Fruitvale Station, um, which is the directorial debut of Ryan Cogler, who has gone on since to do Creed and Black Panther. Um, so this is uh, sort of dramatizes the events leading up to the killing of Oscar Grant, who was a black man uh, killed by police at Fruitvale Station in Oakland. Um, it, so this was you that put me on to this, Dan. I had, hadn't really thought too much about it. I didn't really know who Jordan was, at the time, other than he was the little kid from The Wire. Uh, I never really watched uh, Friday Night Lights or anything, so I didn't really know who he was. Um, and then you mentioned it, and I went out and watched it, and it's uh, yeah, it's a pretty good film. Again, well directed. You can see even from that, I think that Ryan Coggler was going to go on to kind of bigger and better things. And we've mentioned this quite a lot, but it was a really strong 
um, central performance by Michael B. Jordan and that. And would you agree? That's probably what catapulted him on. Do you think? Yeah, I think it's one of the sort of platforms. He's obviously developed a relationship uh, with Ryan Coggler to go on to do stuff like Creed and Black Panther. Uh, and he'd, he'd been milling around, like doing bits and pieces, but I think it's the, I think it really sort of broke him out and put him at the forefront. That this this young lad who we all knew from The Wire is really capable of going on to do something special, and he's not disappointed with since Ruth Vale Station uh, with the roles he's done. You know, Adonis Creed and uh, Killmonger and Black Panther. He's a terrific actor, and this is the start of it. And it's such an honest and heartfelt, quiet performance by a, by a young man who's definitely got a lot to do and say. Yeah, so I think while he's with this, it's quite so that's awesome, you know, easy to like let the victim like Oscar Grant was of, of such a horrific act um, to paint him as this sort of saint, which they don't do in Fruitvale Station. Like, they, they show him with all of his flaws and he's not, he doesn't uh, profess that he was. What they do sort of present as a guy trying to make the best of the life that he has. You know what I mean? He, he, he's trying his best, but, you know, at times that's not 100% good enough. I think that's probably fair to say. Um, and I, I think the fact that, you know, Fruitvale State in 2013, you know, um, and we're here now in 2020 talking about yet another instance of an of a black man killed at the hands of the police in the united states and uh, as you say dan this stuff's committed to film you know this isn't like in a book that nobody reads or in a newspaper that's been forgotten about this is you know there for everybody to see and it and nothing seems to be changing and it's really quite upsetting to think about it but um, but yes, you know we can only hope. You know we can only hope that that things are going to get better, and the more people who educate themselves and you know realise what this is happening is wrong, then you know there's got to be hope out there. I think. I think we've we've talked about um, uh, Michael B. Jordan and how he he's kind of like gone on and had his sort of successful career, but I, I do want to talk about like um, Ryan Coogler as well. Um, the sort of the films that he's made. Um, are obviously are well, well. But, but I was going to say are, are less political, but seemingly less political. But, but Black Panther, the fact that Black Panther was made, it, obviously it, it, it's it's too long. It should be made earlier, and it's it, it shouldn't it shouldn't just be Black Panther. It shouldn't be the only yeah. Marvel film that's been made by a, a black director or, or has black characters in. But th- sort of that film is is a remarkable, <laughs> it's remarkable that film got made by. By by Disney, pretty much. Um, so the, the the politics that are, that are in in Black Panther are are, are fantastic. Um, and I also, I also want to say that obviously I absolutely adore the Creed films. I've, I've talked about them uh, numerous times. Um, but there's there's sort of the pressures that black men are under, um, and the, the kind of um, family issues that are, that are talked talked over in uh, in Creed, especially Creed Two is more straightforward uh, sort of uh, sports film. It's still a very film, but I think Creed sort of also has has something to say about um, the sort of the role of a of a, of a black man in in uh, in, in, in America. Uh, in uh, and you think about sort of the way that black sportsmen are treat black sportsmen yeah. are treated compared to white sportsmen. Um, yeah. Someone makes a protest as four yeah, years ago and yeah. is roundly condemned and never allowed to play. Is never allowed to play. Well, I, I don't know legally what what. what 
what you can say about whether he's whether he Colin Kaepernick was ever sort of never played football again. And then um, last week, a, a, a white white quarterback comes out and says something that's pretty, you know, that if it, let's, let's say he was he was he was uh, misguided, disrespecting the flag, wasn't it? Sort of it was, like, yeah. Sort of, but, but then he, but he's there's no chance of him. He, he, like Drew, Drew Brees, will, he'll be he'll be okay because he's you know. And then maybe it's because people say, oh, that's because he's successful because he didn't mean it. But, you know, is, is a, a white man oh. given a chance where a, a black man wasn't given a chance? Um, and I, have, oh. I, just think, I think Creed, um, and I think something that will come up again, is Creed the film that you can watch and simply doesn't enjoy is the fact that, oh, the, the guy who, oh, it's good to see Rocky takes on a takes on a, a new a new boxer and trains him up and, you know, he's proves he's got the eye yeah. of the tiger. If you, if you want to watch that, you can do. Definitely. But there is, there is something more going on there uh, with that one as well. And, and, and whereas, whereas Black Panther seems to be more, um, it, 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 it all, it's all laid out there about colonialism and uh, and everything. It's all laid out in, in Black Panther. But you know, Creed don't don't sort of like sleep on Creed as a. I don't see an important. Yeah, film, it's layered in such a way that you can sort of. watch it as in Rocky takes on yes. Apollo Creed's son and trains him. You could look at it that way. You're right, but there's it's a lot more going on than than mm-hmm. that. But I think you know we we had this this chat earlier of um, twenty one films or twenty twenty three films in the MCU, um, and uh, they were all directed by essentially white men, with the exception of Black Panther. And as it was it uh, two was it Captain Marvel? Was it was a, a woman. Oh, Captain Marvel as well. Yeah, Captain Marvel as well. Um, yeah. yeah. So, but co-director. Yeah. He, and Shai's, there's not many have been made in Fast and Furious that stands alone and that, but there's not many black films involved in them. Um, well, I think Ryan Coakler is coming back to do Black Panther 2, isn't he? I think that's pretty much been confirmed for 2022, but... Um, I, w- I, w- I would love the next um, the next uh, Avengers film. What, what, whatever the next sort of team-up, whatever it's called, maybe it's not be called Avengers, whatever the next... Whatever the next team up film is, well, that, like, if, he, if he could follow that, the that'd same be, sort of trajectory, that'd be the because they they came on on Captain America two, they did the war, yeah, and then yeah. were given the Avengers mm-hmm. Black Panther two. Then you mm-hmm. should you think in going into twenty three twenty four, you may be heading towards mm-hmm. a new team up movie. I can't think of anyone better to be yeah. honest. Um, uh, but yeah. yeah, that would be amazing though, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, a lot can happen between now and then. But uh, no, he's definitely a. He's definitely a, a, yes, a, a filmmaker to watch. Um, so the next one, um, again, I'm going to let you talk. This one, Dan, is uh, Moonlight. I think uh, I think if if anyone has never seen or heard of Moonlight, I think you will have heard of it from the one that won the Oscar, although it was in La La Land, wasn't it? And then it uh, turns out yeah. it wasn't La La Land, it was actually Moonlight. Um, so I'm going to hand over to you on Moonlight because, unfortunately, I haven't seen it. It's on my list, you know, but I haven't quite got round to it yet. So t- talk to us about Moonlight, Doug. Uh, Moonlight uh, is a brilliant film. I'm sure a lot of people have seen it. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I didn't know who Barry Jenkins was before Moonlight, but now whatever film he's going to be doing, I'm certainly going to be keeping an eye on him. Uh, it follows the story of a, a, a young African-American man who essentially has a, a massive struggle with his identity as he goes through three different parts of his life. And the, each segment is touching in its own way. And 
I mean, there's very few films out there that grapple with identity as well as Moonlight does, and I think it was thoroughly deserving of its Oscar uh, over La La Land. It probably should have won more, to be honest. It only won three. Uh, you've got Mahershala Ali in it, uh, Naomi Harris and Travante Rhodes, who I'm surprised you haven't seen more of after doing Predator and... Uh, oh, he was in uh, Bird Box. But it's a really good film. It's yeah, about identity, sexuality. Uh, it's a really well-made film uh, that I would recommend everybody watch. Excellent. I think he also did. If Beale Street could talk as well, he did that. Yeah, you know, did, his yeah. kind of follow-up. So, um, okay, so. We're kind of in this at the last block, if you will. Um, we're kind of going to lighten the uh, let not lighten the mood a little bit because that, that you know that, that's not quite. You know, we've got loads of kind of worthy films that that tackle important issues and and rightly so. Um, these last three I want to talk about um, are a little bit more light-hearted, if you could kind of look at them that way. Uh, the first one's uh, Straight Outta Compton. Now, um, I think this was just a really entertaining, you know, kind of biopic, you know, um, like uh, that always feels really unnatural for a, a white middle-aged Scottish man to say gangster rap, you know, but uh, if you'll allow me that. Uh, <laughs> um, so it obviously tells the story of um, NWA, uh, so they were a kind of uh, American gangster rap group in the sort of probably in the early 90s, weren't they? I think it's probably when they were. Um, and as I say, the, the effect they had on the sort of black community and the music industry on loads of different stuff. Um, a great film, very entertaining. But I kind of, the reason I put that on is just to kind of highlight F. Gary Gray, because um, he is really important. Um, filmmaker in a lot of ways um, for more so the fact that he seems to be the guy um, who gets the money to make big movies you know he's um, he directed Fast and Furious 8 or as they called it in America The Fate of the Furious um, so that there's a couple of milestones that he hit on that he was the uh, the highest, highest budget ever given to a black filmmaker and laterally, he became the first director, black director, to have a film gross over $1 billion worldwide when he directed Fast and Furious 8. Um, so his career is really interesting. So he kind of, if you look back, I mean, I'm no fan of the of the slacker comedy. Um, but when I was when I was younger, everyone at school was watching Friday. Oh, Friday was the film that you watched. Yeah. Um, I I am no fan of a slacker comedy, so it kind of passed me by, as did its many sequels. Um, But So he kind of started um, with that. He's kind of gone through quite a lot of Hollywood stuff. Now, he made, I think, the Italian... I know I'm probably the only person in the world who enjoyed the Italian job remake. Uh, He directed directed that. But um, nowadays, say he... He got Fast and Furious. He directed the latest um, Men in Black film, the Men in Black International, um, which, again, I enjoyed it. Say The fact that they've given these type of films to black directors now can only be a good thing. Um, 
And as I say, he's paving the way <laughs> for people to come behind him. You know, if he's if he can direct a film that's made one billion dollars and Brian Cogler, or why can't you know someone else? Um, so yeah, so as I say, looking back over his, over his career, uh, he also made a film called The Negotiator with Sam Jackson and Kevin Spacey. If you remember that, I love The Negotiator um, as well. Yeah, it was a that was decent. Um, but he also remember set he did set it off as well, which was like the kind of all female kind of heist through with Jada Pinkett Smith and Queen Latifah and stuff like that. So he's had quite a varied career. Um but about yeah. citizen, he did that as well, remember with uh with um Jamie Foxx. I did not like do you it. Know, I didn't yeah. either. And do you know do you know why I didn't like it? I didn't like how like Jerry <laughs> uh Butler just became such a bad guy in it. It's yeah, like, it was so like, unnecessary. It, you know, it, it didn't was, even it, feel like that was actually how the <laughs> film got wrote. I imagine he got, the that character was written as, or wrote as, he was going to be the good guy, but then they probably thought they couldn't have this guy murdering people and be good. Yeah, uh, but it was, it was so horrific what happened to him. It was just like, yeah, it's like, you still, want, you still wanted to empathise with him, but you couldn't because he was like blowing people up. and Yeah, it's like, it was... It wasn't so much Morris Gray as like not this this dude this dude is bad like it, it shouldn't have ended like that. It was just so I was so annoyed watching it. Yeah, but the thing is, like, it, it's so easy to like Jamie Fox is just such a likable actor anyway that even though you you think oh, Jerry Butler should be the hero, like Jamie Fox is just so likable in anything, you know that it's. Um, but yeah, so I think his is a really important and really interesting career to follow, given the sort of trajectory of it. Um, and what be interesting to see because Men in Black International didn't do that well, did it? Um, I don't think. No, I think. No. It, yeah, I mean, it still made two hundred fifty million dollars, but you know, that's, it it didn't perform as well as it as it needs to. Even though I quite enjoyed it, if I'm honest, I thought it was pretty decent. Um, but yeah, so F. Gary Gray obviously is, is important, and yeah, okay, he doesn't tell stories that. Spike Lee does, or um, um, like Steve McQueen, or anything like that, but certainly is uh, making a difference given the fact that he's out there making money and, and stuff and breaking barriers that way. Um, the next the next one is, uh, as I say, I've chosen the film Training Day um, because mainly because of Denzel Washington's performance in it and. Um, I just love Ethan Hawke so uh, anything, any way we can talk about Ethan Hawke and sort of would be good for me as well but um, it's directed by Antoine Fuqua who again seems to be the guy they go to when they want a kind of action movie sort of knocked out it's not like uh, he's worked with Denzel Washington what four or five times now but they go to him like he's he directed uh, what was it called? I want to say King Arthur, but it's not King Arthur. He did, he did, oh, did King Arthur, Arthur. yeah, he did. Okay, that was the one, the one with uh, Clive Owen and stuff a few years ago. He also did Olympus Has Fallen. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, what was the boxing one with Jake Gyllenhaal, which escapes me at the minute? Thank you. Um, and it also one of my old. One of my sort of guilty, not guilty pleasures, oh, one yeah. of my favourite action films, Shooter, he did with uh, um, Mark Wahlberg. So again, I mean, look through his, I've just got his, uh, his um, 
sort of filmography up now. Uh, Training Day, Tears of the Sun, King Arthur, Brooklyn's Finest, which was quite a kind of underrated film with Richard Gere and Don Chico and stuff like that. Um, Equalizer, Magnificent Seven, you know, so there's, there's plenty of stuff on there. And he seems to be, you know, trusted to direct kind of quite big films. He's Mark Wahlberg again soon, a film called Infinite. Um, but yeah, so I think he makes quite entertaining movies. I mean, I, I love Training Day. I think, you know, you can look at it as a bit cringy in places and that he's whole King Kong, he ain't got nothing on me and all that. But I, don't know, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on Foucault? Is he a... I think he's a great director. Uh, makes really good films, you know, like it's the Magnificent Seven, like it's a kind of a remake that you don't really need. Uh, but it was a hell of a lot better than I was expecting. It pulls it off really well with really good characters. Actually, yeah. some really great characters. Uh, but then again, I'm a stuck off of Westerns. Uh, yeah. I know he's, he's, he's got a great filmography. Uh, and whenever he's got a film coming out, it's always on my <laughs> list to watch. Uh, but I mean, Training Day specifically, I think it's a great film. Uh, I remember getting that on DVD. Uh, I think I've had it on DVD two or three times. Uh, I, I really love it. Do you know the DVD I have of Training Day, right? Is one of the really old Warner Brothers ones, you know, with the yeah, cardboard yeah, front cover. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think if you, if you get Olympus, Olympus has fallen, um, if you compare that to the sort of the film, I've not, I've not seen the more recent one, but if you compare it to oh, London yeah. has fallen, Olympus has fallen looks like Citizen Kane compared to London has fallen. Um, it's just London has fallen is an atrocious movie, uh, but Olympus has fallen. I think it, yeah. it, got, it got a bit of a bad press because it wasn't because it wasn't White House down. Which was like a, a fun kind of spin on the, on the idea, whereas Limbs Fallen got. Limbs Fallen was like a, a hard idea. It was just the right side of kind of like callous, whereas London has fallen was just like just killing off people for no reason. Um, but but I, I think like like we, we said with like like the Magnificent Seven, so a, a big money remake, and uh, as we mentioned with uh, uh, F. Gary Gray, um, the uh, sort of the Fast and Furious and, and Black Diaries has been involved with the Fast and Furious films. It shows that these are. People, we are now sort of starting to see people get the the the, op, the opportunities to, to make these films. There's, there's a, I mean, Fast and Furious is, is, a, is a slightly strange one. It has had different directors, sort of international directors, that certain voices that wouldn't have been heard. Um, but the, uh, but it's, it's just good to see that these films are being successful, uh, showing that there's not there's not a there's, we're now getting the evidence of the black directors, female directors can make sort of films that make money. Uh, we're finally sort of starting to get sure. rid yeah, of those yeah. kind of uh, prejudice. Well, no, well, we're not, but we're starting to build them more evidence that they can be that they can be thrown back okay, in, cool. in the, the face of people. Um, who may make all right, so that brings us to the last film that's that's on our list um, that was on our website, and that is Get Out. Now, I've uh, just very very recently watched this. I watched it um, because I wanted to, um, not that I wanted to include it on the list, but I wanted to see if because I'd heard so many good things about it. Um, well, I think... So, <laughs> so you've got white, brutal bad guys. You've got sort of a commentary on slavery. You've got um, satire, which I think satire is one of the hardest things to pull off. I think the thick of it does it really well, but I can't really think of many other things that, you know... Like nail satire in quite the way that this does. Um, some genuinely laugh out loud moments in it, but all the while there's this sense, kind of not quite dread, isn't the word I'm looking for, but 
I just felt really uncomfortable throughout the whole film. But not, and I, not this is a really hard way to it's not, not that I felt uncomfortable that I wasn't enjoying it. Was. And I was just like, this is just a really. I remember talking to Kelly about after 15 minutes. And uh, I said, like, I am loving every second of this. And then I would probably say that at like 10 minutes throughout the film. And I was like, this is just amazing. And this is just amazing. And I was saying to you, Dan, earlier on that that you can tell it's his first film because there's a couple of kind of issues there that I think if, you know, maybe in five years' time he would he would be a lot more slick. But this a remarkable debut, I think, would be would be my take on that. Yeah, I think Get Out is a brilliant film. Start of finish. I mean, it's, it's also it's got it's also it's it's got Catherine Keener in it as well. Not not Catherine O'Hara. It's actually got Catherine Keener in it, and it's just <laughs> yeah, just the um, the performances he gets from everyone uh, involved. Sort of like obviously we've got um, uh, Bradley Whitford from the from the uh, from the West Wing, who's, who's brilliant and everything. But it's just it's just such a like you said for a first time director, such a f- well put together film. I don't think anyone kind of expected yeah. Jordan Peele. I think most people knew as a as a. The, the, that guy from the sketch, that sketch show. I, mean, I don't think anyone really knew. I don't think anyone really expected sort of that sort of film from him. It's just, it's just absolutely brilliant. It's just, it's just, uh, like you said, just so you said uncomfortable, and that's the. And uh, I just a quick thing on and how great an actor, like how good is he though? Do you know what I mean? Not just in that, but like he was, um, he was in Blue Black Earth, Panther yeah. as well, wasn't he? And um, it's like that. Those those oh, kids yeah. from uh, Skins, I mean, there's so many of them have gone on to. To do so much, haven't they? But, um, but yeah. So like, so he's great at it. But like, even from that first moment where, I mean, you have the prologue where the the guy gets the guy gets abducted, um, but then as soon as you're with him and like he's he's with the white girl and you're thinking, I'm really uncomfortable. And like, I'm trying to tell myself I'm not uncomfortable because a black guy's with a white woman. God no, you know. And it's like, but is that what he's setting out for? He's setting out to put you at ease and like just the way he uses his sound and the way he uses his music. And it's just, it's just a fantastic, fantastic piece of work. Um, and as I say, I didn't watch it for so long because uh, of my blanket. I don't like horror movies. Um, and uh, even though Dan had had given it the day friendly stamp, um, and Kelly had watched it and said I would love it, and I was just like, no, 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 don't want to watch it. Don't like horror films. Don't like being uneasy. And um, I'm I'm so glad I watched it because I I just I thought it was incredible. So us talk to me. I haven't seen us right as well for the same reason. Um, so 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 talk to me about us in relation to Get Out. And like, should I watch it? Could I watch it? Given my ridiculous fear of horror movies, should you, know, you watch what? it? Yes. Uh, could you watch it? Well, you might turn it off after a while. I don't. I, I can't be <laughs> too certain. It's more violent than Get Out, uh, and there's a different kind of commentary in the film. Uh, right. But it's you know, Winston, Winston Duke, who was in Black Panther, is the lead one of the lead sort of characters in this, playing the father of the family, and. I mean, if he wasn't a breakout on Black Panther, he's a breakout in this. Obviously, he's been on to do Spencer Confidential, but he is brilliant. Like, he is such a dad in this film. Never, never have you seen it. Very few films that you get, like, the proper sort of, like, 
goofy dad character and it was so good to see especially in such a dark film in places like you've got this he's not just comic relief he's it, it's part of his character and it's a believable character uh and it, it's really well done uh and obviously lupita is fantastic playing two roles uh elizabeth moss is in it for a short while and she's great uh yeah, it's it, it's a it's a touch more violent, uh, but it's really entertaining nonetheless. And once it gets yes. once it gets started, yes. it doesn't matter. <laughs> cool. Like with, with Get Out, obviously you've you've got this sense of dread because you know ultimately something's going to happen to Chris. Something's not yeah. right with this family. <clears throat> something's going on. So that just makes you uneasy. Essentially, once once you know something's kicking off, yeah, you've got no choice. Like it's happening. You're with this family now as the race to figure out what's going on. Uh, and it, it gets very Twilight Zone, which is what I really like about it. It's not your standard sort of slasher or stabby horror film with a lot of violence in yeah. it. It gets very out there, very Twilight Zone, very different. Yes. And I think that's why Jordan Peele's having such success at the moment because he's not conforming to anyone else's narrative. He's not making these carbon copies of films, but from a black perspective, he's making these really individual, creative, and fun, scary. Dreadful, not dreadful in the sense that it's bad, but like dread-filled films um, yeah, yeah. that are so important for the genre. And he's such an important voice now in it. And it's to have a back-to-back of Get Out and Us, you haven't really seen that in the genre for a long time. And only sort of classic directors or well-reviewed directors you'd look back on, like Wes Craven and John Carpenter and the likes, have sort of got that in their back catalogue. And John Peel, I mean, he's got the platform now to do whatever he wants and can't wait to see what he does next uh so i would yes thoroughly recommend watching us there's a lot of great acting in it uh i'm sure you'll love winston duke's dad and if if, if it starts getting if there's a bit too much blood on screen just cover your eyes you know get Kelly, cover your eyes. <laughs> hide behind a pillow so he is involved in the new Candyman and what he's not directing it though is that correct no yeah he's, he's producing it uh, a young director called Nia DaCosta is doing it who had this really sort of good directorial debut called Little Woods uh, which has got Tessa Thompson in it and Lily James uh, which is an, a good sort of indie horror thriller uh, but yeah she's doing she's doing she's directing Candyman uh, really looking forward to it I think she again she's a she's a from like a promising new voice in the genre and in filmmaking in general and i can't wait to see what they do with it and um just one last thing on jordan peele again he's involved with the sort of twilight zone reboot as well is that worth a, worth a watch uh, i've only seen the first three episodes uh and i've enjoyed them uh I think the one's got Camille uh, Nangiani in it uh, about a stand-up comic who starts using people for his material and then they start disappearing from his life. Uh, there's a one which I think is a, it's based on a short story by Richard Matheson, which is Terror at something 4,000 feet, or... Ah, I can't remember. Oh, yes, yeah. They did that in the original yes, series with yeah. uh, William Shatner, then they did it with John Lithgow in the, in yes. the 80s, sort of... And well, I think there's Simpson Simpson doing the with uh, Bart on the bus. Uh, yes, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's got yes. uh, yeah. Adam Scott, I think, in that way, he's trying to figure out a mystery, uh, and it's really good. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's the replay episode, which I won't say a lot on, but it it very much involves uh, discrimination and race relations with police. And the fact that, I mean, it only came out last year, and considering where we're at now in the world, and I'm, you're seeing the same scenes repeated. It, it, it's quite frightening. Um, but yeah, uh, before we finish on anything, I, I just want to shout out to the 
the Hughes brothers because we've kind of like skirted oh, over. Oh yeah, them. we did. Uh, they did Menace to Society and Dead Presidents and Book of Eli, which are all great films. So like, not obviously we've, there's a lot of important films there, like black uh, filmmakers, but uh, Menace to Society was off the sort of the back of Boys in the Hood, and it was a lot more violent and a, more, a lot more visceral. Uh, and yeah. Dead Presidents has got Keith David in it, and Keith David's awesome. Yeah, uh, and Bucky Woodbine. It's all a great cast. Uh, <laughs> they yeah. also did um, From Hell, which was the uh, Alan Murray that adaptation. Oh yes, uh, oh, yeah, they, yeah, that was brilliant. That was, um, yeah, God, I forgot about them. Dead Presidents was great as well, from what yeah, I remember. Is Chris, it Chris Tucker in that? Uh, yes, I think he is. Yeah. Good shout, indeed. Good shout. Anyone else we've missed in our little roundup? Uh, let's throw in um, Ama Asante as well. Uh, we've mentioned m- mostly sort of American directors due to the sort of nature of sort of uh, uh, film industry. Um, but also we've had um, Steve McQueen as well as, as British. Um, but um, Ama Asante, um, she's a, 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 a she did the, she did the um, United Kingdom, um, which uh, a yellow O as well, uh, and uh, uh, Rosamund Pike. It was about like the uh, it was about sort of set around the time of a part when the apartheid was starting up just after the Second World War, and a, a, an African prince um, wants to marry a, a white woman, and both the British government and the South African government won't allow him, despite the fact that he owns, despite the fact that he's a uh, he, he will become king of his kind of like of his uh, of his of his country. Um, and then she just did Bell as well, which is about a. Uh, uh, Tom Wilkinson sort of plays the um, a, a sort of judge who has a, a mixed race um, um, daughter, um, and uh, and again just just two two really good films. Oh yeah. Uh, 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 Gugu Burrow plays a Belle in a in a in a, in a you know she, she's a she's a brilliant actress as well. Um, yeah, they're, they're just, just two films that she's made, and uh, she, she's making something else at the minute. She, she, she's directed some episodes of The Handmaid's Tale. I just I think she, she was another. Uh, director oh, that needed kind of mention as well, just for just for, just stick up for the Brits a little bit, <laughs> to bang down a little bit on the, on the British side. I mean, she, she's someone who's uh, the, the, they always talk about her on on the Simon Simon Mayo Mark Kermode show, cool. um, and uh, whatever she comes Excellent. up with next will well, be I think, sort of interesting to um, see as well. That unless we've got anyone else who want to. We want to chuck in before we, I, we I, move I, on. Know, sorry, sorry to, to elongate this. Oh, it's okay. Uh, That's I, fine, I though. Have, I don't have a specific filmmaker, but there is a film which explores the, the difficulty of race relations and identity as well, uh, which also stars David Diggs from uh, the Snowpiercer TV series called Blind Spotting, which All right. I watched this on Netflix a couple of months ago. Uh, really good film. And anyways, it, it's a film that it, it asks a lot of questions and it doesn't necessarily have a lot of answers. But that's simply because we don't really have a lot of those answers yet. Uh, really strong central performance by David Diggs. And he wrote this alongside uh, the person he was in the film with, whose name is escaping me right now, Raphael Casal. Um, hey. It's well worth the watch. It's a swift 90 minutes. Uh, a guy who's on probation comes out and he's re- re-evaluating his sort of his friendship with a, his very close friend who's also got quite a volatile personality uh, but yeah it, it's it's a really interesting watch okay cool okay cool I think we've got um, so I think just the, the purpose of this tonight for us was um, is to kind of educate ourselves uh, there's loads of stuff on there that you know I haven't seen. There's a couple of lists that I haven't seen yet that I'm going to watch. It. I'm going to try and dig out, do the right thing again because I say I haven't seen that in twenty odd years. Um, and hope you've came across a film that you haven't 
hope maybe we've convinced you that it's a good idea to sit down with it. And listen, some of these people no doubt about that 12 years of slave in particular is not an easy uh, couple of hours, but it's a rewarding one nonetheless. Um, so I think, like, the, as I said, when I, in the introduction that I wrote to um, to the the article, the thing that uh, that really struck me during all of this, I mean, there's loads of people being kind of, like, having their say on it, and I think social media makes it very easy for people to put a hashtag on something and think they're contributing and everything. And I think the thing that really stuck with was Clara Am Radio 1. Now, I don't listen to Radio 1 because I'm 44-year-old and boring, you know. So, um, but she had said that um, they want our culture, but they don't. And that's something that, that, really, that really stuck with me because can you imagine, like, creating something beautiful or wonderful or funny or scary and people want to devour it and be part of it but they want nothing to do with the person who made it and to me that is absolutely horrific and you know that that's why I wanted to do this and, and say listen this is the stuff that these guys do and um, we love it and we want you to love it as well um, and as I say we don't have a mask but we do have a platform and I'm glad that we've had the chance to do this tonight so thank you very much gentlemen for being a part of it no worries and so next week we will 100% talk about the 80s and our favourite 80s films um, but until then I would say thank you very much James and thank you very much Dan thank you Dave and Rich wherever you are Dave. I hope that your garden is looking nice and rosy so uh, thank you very much everyone take care and we will see you all soon thank you very much Thank you.